So uh, let's get into the Word of God today. Welcome our online audience. Let's let everybody online know we're glad they're tuned in with us today. And let me just say to you on the online audience, in the online audience, get up real close right here. You can give online as well. God bless you. All right. Um, Today, we're continuing our series on the essential ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what it means to be controlled by, filled with, baptized in the Holy Spirit. God is calling this church, and God is calling churches everywhere to investigate and learn the fundamental elements of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and even more importantly, I believe, what that looks like in our daily lives. As a pastor, I have great concern that there's so little teaching on the Holy Spirit in our churches. And uh, really, in one particular area, I have great concern, is in the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our sanctifier, the one who sanctifies us. Now, the word sanctification is in the Bible. Uh, It isn't talked about very much. It's not taught about very much. So I'm going to actually spend the next few weekends talking about, really, guys, a key to you being an overcomer in this world. I'm going to talk about a key to you being more than a conqueror. You know, the Bible calls you an overcomer. The Bible calls you um, uh, uh, one that uh, doesn't have to be dominated by sin. Now, we're all going to stumble. We're all going to sin. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have to come to God for forgiveness. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not preaching on perfection today, but we're preaching on uh, understanding That if we will surrender to the Holy Spirit in his ministry as sanctifier, we can be more than a conqueror that God proclaimed that we could be, and we can be that in this world. Um, How many of you heard a lot of talk about people out there in the world, and there's this famous video that's going viral talking about, I like Jesus, I like the teachings of Jesus, but I really don't care for the church that much. I think one of the reasons that those who are out there in the world today say, I really don't have a problem with Jesus, I really don't have a problem even with the things Jesus taught. But when I go to church, I find what Jesus taught, and I find how the church reacts to me to be two different things. So it leaves the unchurched world It leaves the unsaved world confused. It leaves them confused. You say, well, they ought not to be confused. They just ought to do this and they ought to do that and get right with God. Well, the Bible says the carnal mind or the fleshly mind, the mind that has not been born again, the mind that has not been filled with the Spirit, cannot comprehend spiritual things. So here's what the world does. The world looks at what Jesus said, and then the world looks at us. And a lot of times, there's contradiction there. So it causes confusion. And it causes criticism. And it causes people to say things like, yeah, really, man, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I don't have a problem with the teachings of Jesus. But, man, when I drop by church from time to time, I get the skunk eye. Y'all know what the skunk eye is, don't you? You ever walked into church and got the skunk eye? I hope people don't do that here. I don't think they do. I don't, I don't think people get that here. You know, there's no way in the world I can put the heart of this church in every single person who attends this church. Uh, and I'm sure there are those who are among us, don't point at anybody, who maybe don't have the heart of this church and uh, might uh, mistreat someone. You know, you can't control everyone. Jesus had uh, 12 disciples and he had problems with them, didn't he? So even Jesus didn't control uh, everyone who was in his group, and there's no way we can control. But I believe generally in this church called The Bridge that when you walk up on these grounds or you drive up on these grounds, you're going to get a warm welcome here. Do you guys believe that? 
Now let me ask you something. Can we get better? Yes, we can. We can improve on that. We can get better on that. Now listen, the closer you are to God, the more the Holy Spirit has dominion in your life, the more it's not about you, it becomes about others. So really, in the way we treat guests, in the way we treat visitors, in the way we treat new people, really that's a reflection of our walk with God. Y'all with me? Because, see, if you're walking intimately with God, you're going to be about others. If you're not walking intimately with God, you're going to be about yourself and your little group and your family, and you're not really going to be that warm and welcoming to those outside that little group. So let's draw near to the Lord, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to control us, fill us, baptize us, so that we will show the love of Jesus, not only when people walk up on these grounds, but when you're out there in the world and you're doing whatever it is you do out there, go to the post office, shopping, pay your bills, you know, go to work, go to school, let the love of Jesus flow out of us there because I want to tell you guys something, they're watching us. They're watching us out there. And they're looking at what we teach and they're putting our life right next to it. And they're saying something doesn't match up here. Can we be the exception? Can the bridge be the exception by the power of God that when people say, you know, when I run into somebody from the bridge, I see joy, I see love, and I see happiness. Now what I'm going to teach you today is that it is the work of sanctification that makes you like that. It's the work of sanctification that makes you like Jesus. As a matter of fact, our situation here this morning at the bridge is not that different from the Galatians back in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn in just a minute to Galatians 3. So if you want to get your Bible out, and there's some Bibles sometimes there in the chairs, and you're welcome to use those. So we're going to go to Galatians 3. And we're going to refresh our minds about their situation. And then later in the series, we're going to move on over to Galatians 5, and we're going to see the solution to the situation. I like solutions. Y'all like solutions? We're going to get to the solution. As a matter of fact, we're actually going to get to the solution right here today. Now, Paul is writing a letter. That's what the book of Galatians is. Paul is writing a letter to a church he started, to a church he planted. And this is what he says, and he's kind of getting on their case about starting out in the Spirit, but now trying to live their lives in the flesh. Does that sound uh, familiar in our day? So look what Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. You can tell Paul's a little ticked off. He says, you people in Galatia. (laughs) Can I start a sermon like that sometimes here at the bridge? Hey, you people in the bridge. You people in Galatia were told very clearly about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In other words, you were told, you were taught, you were preached to about the gospel. The gospel. He goes on in verse 1, But you were foolish, since then you've been foolish, and you've allowed someone to come in and trick you. Maybe a false teacher has come in and taught you something that's not true. You know, there was a battle going on then, as there is really today in a sense, uh, where there was this grace message that Paul was preaching, but there were those who were deep into the Judaism, the rules of Judaism, and they were coming in and saying, you know, it's still under the old covenant, and and Paul was saying, no, there's a new covenant, there's a new testament, and we're going to get into that today. And so there was this battle going on in the church between uh, legalism and living by grace. Look at verse 2. Paul says, tell me this one thing. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by legalism? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by what you did Did you receive the Holy Spirit by following law, by following rules? And then he answers their question. It's a rhetorical question. He answers it. He says, no. You received the Spirit because you heard the good news and what? Believed it. Believed it. 
And the good news there, uh, capital G, capital N, there's another word for that. We've already said it this morning. It is the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. Look at verse 3. Now here's the key. Here's the key right here. And, and listen now. This is where it gets real for us. Because this is true of us. It's been true of me. It's been true of you. It is no doubt true of many of you sitting right here today. He says, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. In other words, you began your life in Christ trusting God. You began your life in Christ trusting the Holy Spirit. He said, now though, now you are trying to make it uh, complete by your own power. He says, that is what? Foolish, foolish. So, So this sermon series... And what I'm preaching on in this sermon series is I am calling this church back to an utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me out there today? God is calling us back. God is calling this church back. God is calling every church a lot of times we're, we, we, you know, we start off our Christian life, man, we're depending on God, we're walking in God, but as time goes on, if we don't cultivate that garden, if we don't cultivate that seed that God put in us, if we don't cultivate it, we're still Christians, but more and more as time goes by, we, depend, we start depending on ourselves again. We start depending on our abilities. You remember what the Old Testament uh, prophet Zechariah said? He said, it is not by might And that means it's not by our might, it's not by our power, but it is by, everybody say it with me, His Spirit says who? The Lord. It is by His Spirit. So the Galatians started out their walk by the power of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit, listen carefully, that initiates salvation in us. You remember when you were saved, you remember when you accepted Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that initiates salvation. Listen carefully because we're going to talk about this today. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live holy. You cannot live holy apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible calls that a work of sanctification in your life. It means to be set apart from the world to service for God. Even if you, after I preach this series, don't understand sanctification, and I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can, still pray for it. Ask God for it. You need to put this in your prayer life. Father, God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, sanctify me daily. Set me apart daily to serve you in this world. You, listen, You can't live up to God's standard without God's help. You can't do it. You can't do it. And some of us are frustrated. And some of us are mad at God. And here's why you're frustrated. And here's why you're mad at God. Because you started out in the spirit and everything was fine. But you started depending on the flesh now. And this sermon series is the moving of God upon the heart of this pastor to call us back to a dependence on the Holy Spirit. So church, beginning with Pharaoh Hardison, let's obey God's call. Let's get into it a little bit here. The Holy Spirit empowers us with supernatural boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, and we have boldness and spiritual gifts for the purpose of influencing the world to recognize Jesus as their only hope of salvation, is the only hope of mankind. Let's go back and quickly review a couple things we talked about last week. As it relates to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit who brings judgment. It is the Holy Spirit who produces, listen, produces repentance in us, that turning away from sin, self, and Satan, and coming fully to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that enables you to repent. Listen to me. God's made it so easy. The Holy Spirit will bring you to repentance, and then he will empower you to repent. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. That means he gives us new life. 
We are called upon by Jesus in John chapter 3 to be born of the Spirit. We're all born of the flesh, aren't we? I mean, if you're not born of the flesh, I'd like to meet you after the service because you must have come in on a flying saucer or something. We're all born of the flesh, but God calls us to be born of the Spirit in John 3. It is the Holy Spirit who produces in us faith. And it is Holy Spirit that produces in us a submission, a willing submission to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us eternal life. Listen to me. It is the Holy Spirit who lives in us and indwells us. We're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Remember we talked about that? When that water baptism, death to self, sin and Satan, resurrection into new life. And we uh, are sanctified, and we've already talked about that by the Holy Spirit, set apart from sin. We are filled with and baptized into the Holy Spirit. We are given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and God commands us to use these supernatural gifts not only to witness to the lost, but also to minister to each other. That's why I tell you all the time, when you walk in here on a Sunday morning, don't let it be just about you. Look around for that broken heart. Look around for that sad countenance. Look around for that burdened heart. You say, well, sometimes I can't tell. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in as discerner, and the Holy Spirit will lead you, speak to your heart, and say, that person needs an arm around their shoulder today. That person needs a word of encouragement today. So I'm calling on you, church, to make it again, it is not about you. We say, well, what about me? When do I get my blessing? Listen, if you'll pour it out, he'll pour it in. If you will give it away, he'll pour fresh blessings into you all the time. But if you make it all about you, God's up there in heaven going, what should I bless him for? All he does is hoard my blessings and doesn't bless anybody else. He'll get it to you if he knows he can get it through you. I heard a preacher say that one time. So we're here to edify one another. We're here to lift up one another within the body of Christ. I'm going to just be blunt. I see people walk in, sit down, cross their arms. And, I, and those same people are very sensitive about how people treat them, but they aren't sensitive one bit about that, how they treat people. quiet in here isn't it man listen F let it flow out of you encourage somebody bless somebody you know what the best way to get what you need is to give what you need if you will give you reap what you so if you need some dis encouragement we don't need any discouragement but if you need some encouragement the best way to get encouragement is to sow some you want some corn I mean, you can go put okra seed in the ground, but you're not going to get corn. Y'all write this down. If you're going to get corn, you've got to put, come on, preach. We're sowing all kind of bad seed out there. I'm wondering why. I don't ever get blessed. Don't you sow a blessing. Don't make me come down there. Sow a blessing. I'm preaching now. I know you guys don't need it, but I'm getting ready for that next service. The question that the Apostle Paul is asking here in Galatians 3 is this. He says, since your beginning was in the Holy Spirit, do you now assume that you can be perfected, sanctified, you can have the power to live a godly life in your own, in your own power? He's waking them up. Let, let me tell you what Paul's saying here in Galatians 3. Listen carefully to me. He's saying, now that you're saved, it's time to set the Holy Is it time to set the Holy Spirit aside? Now that you've got your little ticket to heaven, is it time to set the Holy Spirit aside and launch out in your own wisdom? Anybody here working in their own wisdom? Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? Not too good. That's the answer to that. Or you're, you're functioning in your own strength, your own ability. You're trying to, you want to please God. You want to, it, it pleases you to know you've pleased God. But you have to understand something. You can't live a life that pleases God apart from a dependence on God to empower you to live that life. Listen. Help me, Lord. 
every command of God, is it a command of God to live holy? Listen to me. Every command of God is a promise of God. God never commands you to do something, then back off in the shadows and cross his arms and go, let's see, let's see how you... When God commands you to live holy, then he says, and if you'll let me, I'll help you. I want you to live holy, and if you'll let me, I'll help you live holy. Whatever he calls you to do, whatever he's called you to do, then he steps up beside you and goes, and I'll help you. I'll go with you. I'll walk with you. When I was 17 years old, he came up to me, and I'm thinking he's never heard me preach, and he called me to be a preacher. And he knew what my first sermons were going to be like. First revival I ever had was a three-night weekend revival. Young preacher, 32-inch waistline, full head of hair, ready to go. I got up three 15-minute sermons, preached all three of them the first night in five minutes. I didn't have nothing for the other two nights. I'd already preached the whole Bible to them, or at least the part I knew, in five minutes. So the next night I preached on how Moses had a coat of many colors. There's somebody out there right now going, that's a good one right there. That's a good one. He calls us to be all these things. And then he says, if you'll let me, I'll, I'll help you be all those things. Isn't that compassionate? Paul is saying, so let me get this straight, Paul's saying. You confess that you understand the cross because of the Holy Spirit. You confess that you understand the crucifixion because of the Holy Spirit. You confess that you understand the resurrection because of the Holy Spirit. You, you confess that anything related to you becoming a Christian, you confess that all of that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, but now, Galatians, you have abandoned the work of the Holy Spirit as it relates to living a consistent, godly life. You have abandoned the Holy Spirit as it relates to your daily lives. So Paul is calling the Galatians back, and I'm calling me back, and I'm calling the bridge back to a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason this is important to us is because the same problem that Paul was having is a huge problem in the contemporary church. There's very little discussion or talk or dialogue or emphasis or teaching these days on the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our sanctifier, as the one who makes us able to live right. Some of you are sitting out there right now and you keep doing the same sin over and over and over again. You, you don't know what's going on. You're, you're going, I... I, gave, I know I got saved. I know I gave my heart to Jesus. I know I committed my life to Christ. I keep going back to the same stuff. I keep doing the same things over again. I'll tell you why. Because you depended on the Holy Spirit to save you, and now you're dependent on yourself to keep you strong. You can't do it. You've got to walk with God daily. You've got to walk with God daily. The fact is that many in the evangelical world, which is who we are, evangelical Christianity, uh, many who are thoroughly biblical, we're thoroughly biblical in our theology, but we're running away from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in a lot of cases, the reason we're running away from the ministry of the Holy Spirit is because we've heard people who have the Holy Spirit are freaks. That they do weird stuff. Now, do you see how the enemy can use that? Do you see how the enemy can come and tell you that if you move to the, toward this Holy Spirit thing, your next thing you're going to be doing is looking for some snakes to handle? Next thing you're going to be doing is you're going to be in the grocery store walking down the aisle looking for pork and beans, and you're just going to fall out in the spirit right there in the grocery store. And they're going to scrape you up and call the paddy wagon. And I mean, there are people who sitting right here right now who, who will just say, you know what? I'm good with my little ticket to heaven. I'm not even going to go toward that Holy Spirit stuff because I've seen people act crazy and do some crazy stuff. Hey, listen, me too. I've seen it too. And so I'm not going. Do you see that? That's a trick of the enemy. That's a trick of the enemy. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. 
Come to him. Let me challenge you today to begin to seek him. Listen to me. Listen to this word. Trust him. He is, we established this last week, he is who? He is, he's God. Trust the Holy Spirit. People recoil from embracing the Holy Spirit. They don't want to be identified with the weird practices and abuses that, once again, I must admit, have been in the church. But that is a trick of the enemy to get you to back away from the dominance of the Holy Spirit in your life. So God's calling us to be true and biblical in our understanding of the Holy Spirit because he sanctifies us. He sets us apart from the world for kingdom service in this Christian life, and it is done by the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you, um, uh, let me just say this too. Don't forget that it is the Holy Spirit upon you that makes your witness powerful, that makes your testimony. God's called every one of us to be a witness. God's called every one of us to be uh, um, a, a word for him, a, a, an ambassador for him, a representative of him in this world. You do not want to do that without his Holy Spirit on you because that's tough work. The world out there generally doesn't want to hear it. And a lot of reason they don't want to hear it is because they've been watching us. So you're going to need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to give you boldness. But here's what backs up a powerful testimony. Everybody listen carefully. If you're going to go out there and talk about Jesus, here's what that person out there who doesn't know Jesus is going to do. They're going to look past you to see your life. They're going to hear you. They're going to let you talk to them, but they're going to look past you to see how you live and to see how you walk. That's why it's so important for me as a pastor to keep reminding you just about every Sunday how imperfect I am because I don't want people looking at me. I want people looking at him. However, there ought to be enough of him in my life that they see him in my life and that they see Jesus in me. So to live our daily lives as God would have us to requires the mighty work of the Holy Spirit, the deep work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you again, the Holy Spirit brings us into intimacy with God. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates the Scripture to our minds so we can understand the Bible, so we can understand Pastor Farrell's sermons. The Spirit glorifies Christ in us, the Spirit glorifies Christ to us, and the Spirit glorifies Christ through us. The Spirit guides us into God's will. The Spirit ministers to us through other believers, and the Spirit ministers through us to other believers. The Spirit strengthens us physically. Anybody need a little physical strength this morning? The Holy Spirit is who you need. He strengthens us emotionally, and He strengthens us, most of all, most importantly, spiritually, so that we might have all this necessary to obey God. And then the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and this is actually um, one of the things I gave you last week, but I didn't give you a scripture reference on that. That's Romans 8, 26 and 27. talks about how the Holy Spirit actually prays for us when we don't even know how to pray. You ever been like that? When you didn't know how to pray, all you could do was groan and moan because the thing you were going through was just so hard and so difficult and you couldn't even put words together and the Bible says the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. Now, all of this stuff that I'm preaching today is available to, to us as long as we don't do two things. Guys, put up that next slide for me. What we don't want to do is grieve the Spirit. We don't want the Spirit to be grieved, and we don't want the Spirit to be quenched. And we quench the Holy Spirit by turning away from what He wants to do in our life. We quench the Holy Spirit when we turn away from his ministries toward us, toward our lives. And when we, when we quench the Holy Spirit, it results in the Holy Spirit grieving because he knows that what he wants for your life is best for you. And so when you reject what he wants to do in your life, it grieves him. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? It breaks his heart because what he wants to do in you, he knows is the best plan for your life. So how foolish it was for the Galatians and how foolish it is for any of us if we abandon our only hope. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. 
And I know it may surprise you uh, today, but uh, we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament today. So if you have your Bible, go to the book of Jeremiah with me. There are a couple things there that are important for us to remember in regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In this passage that I'm going to read to you from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the Spirit of God is indicting the children of God. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't only come to comfort us, He comes to uh, uh, show us when we're out of line. Now, you guys know I preach that the Holy Spirit's like a referee in a basketball game. When you step out of bounds, he will blow the whistle on you. Anybody ever had the whistle blown on them? Amen. And the rest of you are lying. So, so he just blew the whistle on you right then. The Holy Spirit, when you step out of bounds, he will blow the whistle on you. Amen. Amen. So, so that's what's happening here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is indicting the children of Israel, and here's why. Uh, because uh, they've sinned. And so he sends a preacher. He sends a prophet. He sends Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, you, if you know anything about the book of Jeremiah, you know Jeremiah was not an arrogant preacher, was he? As a matter of fact, in the first, um, in the first part of the book of Jeremiah, he tells God, I can't do this. And then God tells him, listen, dude, before you were even a thought in your daddy's mind, I had already called you to preach. Before you were ever in your mom's womb, I already knew you were coming, and I'd already decided who you were going to be. So it's not about you, brother. You just do what I called you to do. Amen, amen. You ought to read Jeremiah. It's awesome. As a matter of fact, I love this part of Jeremiah. He got so discouraged as a pastor and preacher in that context. You know, I know it wasn't that context, but putting it in our world, he got so discouraged as a pastor that he says in the Scripture, I'm going to open up a hotel and get out of the church business. I've actually had that thought. Not opening a hotel. I think that'd be a whole lot like running a church, actually. But I've thought about standing at Walmart and going, can I put a sticker on that for you? Let's look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they were not gods at all? In other words, he's talking about heathen nations. He said, You guys ever seen a heathen nation go, Oh, we don't want this god anymore. We'll just take another god. He said, And, and the god they put away wasn't real, and the god they took up wasn't real. He said, yet I'm talking about God's people. He says, my people, people who serve the true God, the true God, yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Booyah. Next slide. The heavens, that means God, are shocked at such a thing that we would abandon the glorious God. They are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. Next one. For my people have done two evils. Bridge Church, hear the word of the Lord today. For my people have done two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns. Now, cisterns are not the companions of brethrens. You got your brethrens and your sisters. No. No. That's like the guy who thought the epistles were uh, the wives of the apostles. Please. Somebody's back there going, really? I thought it was, let me. <laughs> and they have dug for themselves cracked sisters. A cracked cistern was just a container that held water for future use. He says, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold what? No water at all. Now that's graphic language, and I want you to listen to me as I explain that. In God, the Israelites had an endless, full, flourishing fountain of spiritual life and power, and it was in God. It was in God. Yet they turned from God and decided they would create their own way. Does this sound like Galatians? 
Do you all understand that, that uh, Jeremiah was written thousands of years before Galatians? Same problem. Here we are thousands of years after Galatians. What have we got here in the bridge? Same problem. We are going after our own methods. We're going after our own ways of having what only God can supply for us. What only God can give us. These cisterns are figurative. They're not literal. Jeremiah's using a, I mean, cisterns were literal, but people weren't storing up spiritual blessings. He, he was using an illustration here. He said, I want you people to understand a cistern is not a, is not a spring springing up in any sense of the word. He said a cistern really is not a source at all. You have to go get water and put it in there. He said it's only a container, and in fact the containers you've built for yourselves to hold your own stuff that you think is going to meet your own need, they're cracked, so even what you've put in there is leaking out. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? So it's a, it's a description here of them saying, we, we're, we know what God's done, you know, but we just really would rather operate out of the flesh. We'd rather operate out of our humanity than him. So they started with God. Hear me when I say that. They started with God, but now they've turned from God. Now let's go to the next chapter. Is it the next chapter? Uh, no, actually, it's uh, several chapters over. Ch uh, Jeremiah 31. And let's read. This is so awesome, guys. I want you to get this. A lot of you say, I don't understand the Old Testament. Listen, I'm going to teach you something today. It's so clear. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. And we'll go through verse 33. Now, what we're going to see here is a prophecy of the new covenant. Now, you, if, you, if you're holding a Bible and you've got the whole Bible, then you've got the Old Testament and the New. Now, another word for testament's covenant. It's the same word. So everybody say Old Covenant and New Covenant. God made an Old Testament covenant, and then God made a New Testament covenant. That's why your Bible's divided into two parts. So look what he says here, because this is a wonderful prophecy of the New Testament. Now, in Jeremiah, we're in the what? Old Testament, but he's talking about there's coming a new covenant. He said, I've made a covenant with you, but he says, I want you to know one day I'm going to bring a Messiah. I'm going to bring a Messiah to you. I'm going to give a Messiah to you. And he was talking about Jesus, of course. He says, and it is a covenant which all will receive, not just the Jews, but all. I don't know about y'all. I'm real happy about that because my name is not Farrell Brookstein. I'm not a Jew. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white boy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've won whitest white man in Wayne County three years in a row. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Gentile. So thank God he included people who weren't Jews. And that's what he's talking about in this new covenant here. Now let's read it. He says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Now that covenant's made with the Jews first, but then later we find that it becomes a covenant for all of us. Go to the next verse. The covenant will not be like the one I made with Charlton Heston. It won't be like the one I made with Moses. He said the new covenant, this covenant that I'm talking about that's to come, it won't be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, not like the one I gave to Moses up on Mount Sinai. He said they broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. And what does God call us? The bride of the bride of Christ, he's our, he's our husbandman. Next verse. But this is the new covenant. Now get this, get this. This is what's available to you. This is what's available to you. But this is the new covenant I will make by the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep where? In the old covenant, it was a outward pressure in the new covenant it's an inward motivation 
in the Old Testament, they lived for God because of an outward pressure called the law. But now there's a new covenant, and now he puts that law in our hearts. That's good stuff right there. I will put my law deep within them, and I will write that law on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Isn't that good stuff right there? Isn't that good? He's talking about the relationship with God is going to change in the new covenant, and instead of God being an outward force, an outward pressure, he's going to be an inward motivation. He's talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Now let's go to another Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel. And let's read what he has to say. Ezekiel says in chapter 36, Ezekiel 36, and verse 26, he's talking about this new covenant. Ezekiel says, moreover, and this is God talking, this is a prophet, but God's given his word through the prophet. Moreover, I will give you a, everybody say it, new heart and put what? A New spirit, where? Within you, I will remove the heart of stone because that's what the law does. When we have to obey a law, it's like a, it's like a, a stone. He says, I'm going to remove that heart of stone and, and, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Flesh. Next verse. And I, here, look at this. Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. People say, well, I don't really need the Old Testament, man. I just read the New Testament. Well, you're getting half the story. Because in order to really enjoy the impact of the New Testament, you've got to understand that thousands of years before the New Testament came along, it was all prophesied it was coming and what was going to be in it. And that gives you faith in that new covenant. He says, and I will put my spirit where? Within you. And calls you. Now here's that sanctification. Now remember what I told you. If you are obeying God by biting on a bullet, you know, biting on a piece of leather and going, I can do it, I can do it. I'm going to get up this morning. I know I can do it. I'm going to try, I'm going to try. See, you're doing that in your flesh. When you get up every morning and say, Lord, I'm yours today. Order my steps, Lord. Check my spirit. Check my attitude. Lord, if I'm doubting, check that, God. If I am confronted with a situation that wants me to react in an ungodly way today, in other words, if Pastor Farrell runs me off the road today, going down 70, may I not tell him he's number one. Y'all with me? Get up every morning and, and don't bite on the piece. Of, you know what I mean by biting on piece? Oh, I'm going to do this. Bite the book. Give yourself to God. He says, because when I put my spirit within you, it will cause you to walk. That means lifestyle. That means daily living in my what? Now, statutes means the word of God. Statutes is another word for the word of God, another word for the law of God. And, and then we're going to see the word ordinances in a minute. And the word ordinances, let me just give you, let me just teach you something right here. The longest chapter in the Bible, who knows what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Psalm 119. Psalm 119. A guy named Pharaoh wrote that chapter. No, I'm just kidding. The longest chapter. Okay. Um, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. You know what it's about? The Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's about the Bible. It's about the Word of God. It uses statute, law, I think the word uh, principles. Or in, it's all talking about the same thing. So when we see the word statute here, that is, that is the word of God. So when the Holy Spirit is in you and dominant in your life, it will cause you to live by the word. It will not be an external pressure it will be an internal motivation. Are you all with me? He says, and with my spirit in you, you will automatically, it won't be something you have to bite the bullet and try to do, you will be careful 
to observe, that word means obey, not just look at, but do, observe my what? Ordinances, ordinances. So there it is. The supernatural power, which is the Holy Spirit, enters a person when they are adopted into the family of God. They're saved, they're born again, born of the Spirit. And then that initial work of sanctification begins in salvation. Now remember what I told you last week. Trying to simplify this whole thing of sanctification. When you're saved, when you accept Christ into your heart, He forgives you and cleanses you of acquired sin. Sins you have done. Sins you have done. The sanctification that begins when salvation begins, that sanctification deals with your nature to do wrong. Are y'all with me? Now, your nature to do wrong is going to always be there. If you're expecting something to happen to you where you're never going to be tempted, you can write that off. You're going to always be tempted until you get to heaven, okay? Who, who was tempted that lets us know we're all going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. So you're never going to come to a place where you're not tempted. You're never going to come to a place where your flesh doesn't want you to do stuff you shouldn't do. Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do it. The thing that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. So Paul said, how many of y'all think Paul's a pretty good Christian? Pretty good. He had the same issue. Because you never, that sinful nature that you inherited from Adam, that sinful nature, that nature to do wrong, will never be killed. It will never be gone until you get to heaven. Now, you can cripple that nature. You can, you can as you surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life, you can make that nature have not the effect that it had earlier in your life, and that's God's will for you. That each day you are sanctified, drawn nearer and nearer to Him. You say, well, I want to come to the altar and get sanctified. Great. We'd love to have you come to the altar and get sanctified. But let me tell you something. It started when you were saved, and it will continue until the day you leave this earth. This work of sanctification, purifying you, setting you apart for the world. Y'all with me? That's why we need this. This isn't just a theology lesson. This is practical daily living. Practical daily living. I have people come up to me all the time frustrated, frustrated, frustrated because they keep going back to stuff they thought was gone. Listen, God washed you of the sin of that thing, but you've got to let him deal with the nature in you, the sinful nature, the depraved nature that made you do that thing, and that's called sanctification. So you pray, God, sanctify me by the power of your what? Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit who energizes and enables us. It's the Holy Spirit who causes us to be able to walk in the law of God and to obey his ordinances. Let me give you one more verse and we're done. Ezekiel 37, 14, look what he said. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. Because that tells me before the spirit was in us, we were dead. <laughs> I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it in you. Amen, amen. See? Here's a big mistake churches make. They want the Holy Spirit for their enjoyment. The Holy Spirit, I enjoy the Holy Spirit. Y'all enjoy the Holy Spirit? But it's not primarily for your enjoyment. The Holy Spirit is primarily for your employment to empower you to live a holy life, listen to me now, so that when you witness and when you testify and they look beyond your words, they see a life backing up that word. Not a perfect life. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about excellence. We're talking about living our life to the max for God. Let's all stand.
There's no way, Lord. All I can do is preach this message. I'm just a mailman. I'm just a delivery boy. You, God, have to put it in our hearts. All I can do is preach it the best way I know to preach it. But you, Lord, have to put it in us. Start with me. Start with me, oh God. Start with Pharaoh Hardison. Start with the pastor. Because, Lord, there are many days that, I, that I've chosen to live my life apart from the Spirit and live my life in the flesh. And I get in a mess. I make a mess every time I do it. So I come before you today as a pastor of this church, and I pray that the things I have preached in this message will first come to me, will first be heard by my ears, will first challenge my heart, will first change me, let me be changed as I surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to walk in the Word, to live the Word, not in my own strength, not in my willpower, not in getting up every morning biting the bullet saying, I know I can do this thing. I can't do this thing, but you can do it in me. And I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I, I stand before you this morning and I pray that the people of this congregation will do the same thing right now. And I say, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with yourself. Fill me with your power. I repent of resisting you. I repent, Holy Spirit, of thinking I could do it without you. I repent of the sin of pride. and I repent of the sin of the Galatians when they started in the Spirit, but then they thought they could do the rest on their own. I've done it. I've done that too, God. And I repent. And I ask you, Lord, to challenge my heart and call me call me every day, every morning when my head rises up off that pillow I pray that your Holy Spirit will say depend on me today don't forget to depend on me today cry out that I will help you today ask me to help you today ask me to empower you today to witness, to give you boldness, to stand up for what Jesus has done in your life, may the Holy Spirit speak to me and say Pharaoh let me help you let me help you be an overcomer today, Pharaoh. Let me help you be more than a conqueror today. And then God, help me. Help me to lower my pride. Help me, God, not to have the... He said, Galatians, you are foolish. Help me not to be foolish and think I can do this. I pray you created me a hunger for the domination of the Holy Spirit in my life and create it in the heart of every person in this auditorium today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.